There's a ley line that I've talked a lot about that in colonial times they called Satan's axes. And you can draw this line. It goes straight through Mexico City all the way up to Stonehenge. It's deeper than that. There are these undercurrents of uh, cults. That's the only way you can really define it is a cult. There's yeah. a cult that's been alive for a very long time. It's taken different forms. And, you know, it's almost like a, a war between these groups. You know, they all kind of have the same information and they can't really rat on each other because then the whole game's, you know, kaputs. What? What is happening? Everybody, welcome back to an all new episode of Low Value Mail on this February 20th. 2024, the year of our Lord. It's episode 96, and we got we got a heater, as they would say in the uh, in the podcasting industry. We got a heater for us tonight. Uh, we weren't even supposed to have a show. I was supposed to be in Florida right now, but my chick got influenza B, not to be confused with influenza A which is like, I think you get that from an animal. Uh, She got number B. Uh, So I had to not go to Florida. So things are on the up and up, but you win even when I am losing. She's she's okay, LP. Uh, She's fine now. She was, it was rough though. You do not want to get that influenza B. And then she's like, I thought you told me that I wasn't supposed to take flu shots. I'm like, I I just said, I don't take them. I never said you shouldn't take them. And I don't even take them. I don't even have a beef with the flu shots. I'm just, don't care. I don't know. Get the flu. Even though the flu sucks. The flu is no joke. It's like, uh, I wouldn't want to have it. Uh, I think I had it like 15 years ago. I'm still running on, on fumes on, uh, any sort of immunity to that. Anyways, joining us very shortly, we have mystic Mark from my family thinks I'm crazy podcast and my family thinks I'm crazy.com. Uh, he's been on the tinfoil hat pod. We're lucky to have him today because he uh, he he's got some shit. He's got some shit, and I'm uh, and I'm looking uh, I'm looking forward to it. And it's funny because all that flu stuff is anti vaxxer Danny over here, and th- that flu stuff. I if I said that two years ago when we started this show, I probably would have got a fucking my account, my channel nuked or some shit or a strike or something. Um, but they don't care about the flu, even though the flu is way worse. It is way worse um, than that other thing that people might get. Um, all right. So before we start, please, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, like and subscribe to the show. Tell a friend. Honestly, just do me a favor. You got to have some of you must have friends who are not watching this show. I don't I don't know. Just if you if you knew if you know somebody, just give them say, hey, you like calling radio shows. Nobody really likes those anymore. I don't know. Just tell somebody. I'm, I'm trying to grow this show. It seems to be stuck in the mud. But I keep trying all sorts of wacky stuff, and so it's partially my fault. It's partially because I got a strike on my other channel. There's a lot of factors at play here. Uh, but anyways, if you wanna, if you could do me a favor, just tell some people about the show. So. Uh, we can continue doing said show. Uh, and if you want to support the show, get one of these fancy wrenches uh, that people have. You can either just join on YouTube, sign up, patreon.com slash low value mail. Um, that's about it. We got next week. Uh, our guest who canceled last week, Lou Ferrante, 
former Gambino crime family member turned author, not a rat, not a rat, uh, turned author. <clears throat> We're going to be discussing the history of the mafia next week, tomorrow night. We have an all-new episode of The Bathhouse, the ultimate comedy hang, live from the Stan Comedy Club green room. Uh, Derek Drescher returns. We're going to have a lot to talk about because when I was away in Europe, a lot of nonsense happened there. I mean, I've obviously hung out with him personally, but he has not been on the show. we got Danny Martinello and one more person that escapes me at the moment. And if you would like to see me do stand-up joke comedy live, um, if you want to see me live doing stand-up comedy, I have some dates coming up. Uh, I will be in Phoenix, Arizona, technically Scottsdale, Saratoga Springs, New York, Fairfield, Connecticut, Dallas, slash Plano, Texas, Minneapolis, um, Edmonton, Vancouver, even though it's actually New Westminster, because Vancouver, I don't think, has a comedy club right now, for some odd reason. Um, Runaway Slav says Skanks is being funnier than this. Well, look, I can't, you know. I can't compete with every whim that the Legion of Skanks decides they're just going to change the time of their show. What am I supposed to do? Change my show? It's not even live. It was last night. Just watch it later. Um, so anyways, that's it. All right. I am done. Am I done my ramblings? I got a lot of crazy, wacky guests coming up, by the way. I've been, I've been out there. I got this guy who he... Uh, Thinks Hitler didn't kill himself and uh, is on like the SPLC website and stuff and as a neo-Nazi, even though he's obviously not a neo-Nazi. I've said too much. I've said too much. But anyways, Hitler died in, I think, Chile or Bolivia or something in 1961. Interesting. Uh, okay. And you know what? Our guest might know something a little bit about this as well because he's, uh, if you check out his, his podcast, he's kind of been to every corner of... Of all this shit, so let's bring let's bring him on. Without further ado, Mark from my family thinks I'm crazy. Uh, how do I do this? Ask to start video. Hold on, there he is. What's up, Mark? How you doing, buddy? Hold on, let me just do this. Do I even really need Logan? Shout out Logan Sorter. Thanks, dog. Uh I wonder if I even need this little middle bar thing. What do you guys think? Middle bar? No middle bar? All right. Doesn't matter. Welcome to the show, Mark. How are you doing, man? Great. Great. Question uh, number one. What do you know about uh, Hitler killing himself? Cap or no cap? I think it's a, a cap. I think he definitely went to South America along right. with many other uh, Germans. But people forget that the Germans were all over the world way before the turn of the 20th century. So they didn't exactly have to bushwhack their way to uh, make a new settlement. They had places to go. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, man, South America, that would be nice. Well, it's also right there next to Antarctica, possibly the closest continent to Antarctica. So there's some Hints there, but to run away Slav's comment, uh, I think I recognize him from some live chat I was in today. I'm Certainly. 
yeah, Legion of Skanks uh, at this point in my Tuesday night. And yeah, I don't like that they switched Tuesday. So uh, they're going to fuck it up again. They're going to change something again on you. So you either declare your loyalty. I don't appreciate this dual loyalty, if you know what I mean. Right. From well, Slug. I was psyched. I was psyched to get the invite from you because I'm a big fan of the boys cast. Oh, I'm appreciate it, man. Of whenever you're on uh, Legion of Skanks and also. The fact that you're doing a conspiracy show is really sick. I know and a call-in show. Yeah, it's it's more it's more nuanced than just a conspiracy show. But yeah, it's yeah, cool. yeah. So no, no, but it's a conspiracy that. and call-in show. It's I mean, it's basically I'm just stealing coast to coast. But everybody hates coast to coast now. Well, it's played out, and it's kind of corporate with George Nori, and it's also like very new agey as well. They don't they're kind of tone deaf when it comes to uh, conspiracies. They're very much stuck in the eighties with their conspiracy. I'm, I'm in there like Reddit, and literally everybody's like, "This show sucks now. What happened to it?" And all oh, they're like, "It's just commercials for vitamins nonstop." Yeah, yeah. I mean, it might as well be on the Discovery Channel at this point. Like, it's very much watered down. Like yeah. a lot of extreme conspiracy content and a lot of the the social media stuff but uh right right i mean i guess they have, they have other stuff to deal with because they're not on i mean as as much as we complain about the you know youtube and all the censoring on youtube like i imagine being on terrestrial radio is like a whole different <laughs> whole different thing yeah absolutely i've been on it a couple times it's fun but it, you know i think people prefer podcasting now uh especially you know, it's just a different time that we're in. Radio's cool if you drive in a car a lot, and that's all you can get. You know, that's all you can connect. But with to. The, with unlimited data now, which generally everybody has, you can just kind of get everything anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Anyways, enough about this. Um, so t- tell people a bit about yourself, just for anybody who uh, does not know who you are or just your background. Cool. So I started my podcast, My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, around the time that I started working for Sam Tripoli. Uh, I met Sam at a show in New York, gave him a book. We struck up a a conversation, and then I was on his Patreon show a few months later. One thing led to another, and now I book the guests for Tinfoil Hat. So that afforded me uh, a, a big opportunity in the podcast world, and I seized the moment and, uh, hit the ground running with my podcast. I've done about 400 episodes since uh, starting in 2021, 2000. I've interviewed David Icke. uh, I've interviewed people like Tommy Chong. (laughs) You know, it's hard to think when I talk to my uh, normal friends, like my parents who think I'm crazy. You know, a lot of the people that I'm psyched about interviewing, you know, are are notable to me, but not famous to the world. My favorite person I've probably interviewed is an author named Michael Hoffman, who, if you look up his name, it's like nuclear radiation. So uh, he tell, well, one- t- what, tell us about about Michael Hoffman. Oh, Michael Hoffman's the best. A- everyone uh, at the ADL and those groups think he's a anti-Semite. So that's well, that was be- the same thing with this guy. His name's Harry Cooper. Who I, who I was just talking to today from Shark Hunters. I don't know if you know who that is, but he basically it's this, this thing called Shark Hunters, uh, and they just go and it's like a historical thing where they just go find all these like essentially, you know, Nazi sites in South America and like all these like secret Nazi things. And but it's from a historical perspective. But then the problem is, I guess there's some people who identify themselves as neo Nazis who are like like that as well. 
they're like, yeah, I like that. And then they're neo-Nazis. So then they're like, okay, well, this guy has fans who are neo-Nazis. So then therefore he's a neo-Nazi. And you're like, well, then that means the Canadian parliament's all neo-Nazis. Um, but anyway, yeah. It's, it's a very convenient political football straw man that's been used even in the war in Ukraine. I mean. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And if you watch the Carlson Putin interview, that was a major talking point for Putin. He said, oh, well, tell Ukraine to get their Nazis out of there because that breaks our agreements with them about Nazism. They're, they're very sensitive about Nazism in Russia. I, rightly so. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I liked what Putin had to say for the most part. But as far as my podcast goes, it's it's really interesting because when I first started this journey, I never listened to podcasts. I was very much uh, someone who questioned everything. Uh, I, podcasts didn't really exist when I started this journey, I guess. But I would find books and, and weird people and, and these little pieces of information would just kind of stick with me here and there. And the way life works, you know, I really believe in synchronicity and not in this new agey astrology relationship kind of way. But when you announce your purpose to the universe in a confident way, in a private way that you are willing to dedicate yourself to, the universe responds. You know, whatever that is that you believe in, I personally believe in a creator. So the creator may have a, a hand somehow long down the chain in that process. But uh, I definitely am not delusional enough to think that God is like talking to me directly with these synchronicities. It's just a, it's a sort of spiritual physics that we don't understand. And for me, you know, a little personal anecdote, my great grandmother danced with George H.W. Bush at a, a ball in New Haven. She liked to, to get around, you know, that when was this? This was in the in the early 20th century. She was alive when I was born and she was in her 90s. So she had lived for most of the 20th century. Um, and yeah, so she she danced with George H.W. Bush. And I only found that out after I had begun my uh, like when research. he was younger. Oh, yeah. When he was like, he was married at the time, it was a polite, you know. Dance oh, yeah. yeah, yeah it wasn't. But uh, but yeah. And she also got asked out by Frank Sinatra. But that's a different story. So. Whoa. Yeah, but my, uh, you know, personal kind of connections to all this only dawned on me much later. Uh, I actually was in George H.W. Bush's former home the day he died. I was a delivery guy for a bakery and I would deliver breads all over Yale. And one of George H.W. Bush's former residence is now a part of the Yale campus. It's the Department of Economics classroom building. And I would go there every Tuesday, jump over a wall, get through a back door, walk up through the, the basement and open the front door, leave the pastries and usually take a newspaper and see what was going on in the Yale Daily News. And that day just so happened to say like George H.W. Bush, former resident of New Haven, 88 Hill House Avenue, the exact address that I was standing at, you know, former resident of New Haven passed away today. So that was one of many like weird synchronicities, like how many people are, are in a place like that to receive that kind of information 
about someone who was not only in Skull and Bones, but uh, the son of the man who stole Geronimo's skull from his grave. I was introduced to that fact when I was in community college. I would go and smoke blunts uh, <laughs> on the green, which I now know is this really, really incredible mystical place. But back then I didn't know that. And I would go there and I would smoke. And one day this Native American guy came up to me. And I had never seen a Native American in this part of the, the <laughs> you know. They don't city. seem to be in the Northeast a lot. Exactly. You don't. Yeah, even though dad, the names are, they have the, like, the names are every, like everywhere. Oh yeah. But... yeah. The state of Connecticut is a, a Native word. It's one yeah. of the few states uh, on the Northeast that has a, a Native word. But, uh, but yeah, so, so he was kind of a, a stranger in strange lands. And I was always interested in people who are strange because I stick out like a sore thumb. I'm a big, tall hippie. And I definitely looked more hippie-ish back then, if you could believe it. Um, and yeah, I, I struck up a conversation with him. And he told me the reason he came to New Haven was because he'd grown up in Arizona, a tribe, you know, connected to the Apache. I don't know the exact name. He went to prison. And in prison, he felt like, you know, he really wronged his culture. He wronged his ancestors. He wronged his tribe by by being a, a felon. Right. Mm -hmm. So he gets out of prison and the way that he, you know, reconciles this damage he feels he's done to his familial connection is he goes to New Haven where he knew his ancestor Geronimo's skull had been robbed. And he'd stand in front of the skull and bones tomb every day at noon and scream Geronimo's name as loud as he could, like thunderous. Like roar. one time or just over and over again? Just once every day at noon to send a message and also to to send a prayer to his. Was he yelling Geronimo? Geronimo. Yeah. And I stood with him. <laughs> I stood with him a couple sure, times. Everybody's like looking around being like, Whoa. oh, yeah. You can imagine the scene on a Yale campus, especially with the, the student body today. It's all like asian students and you know yeah. <laughs> who knows what i won't get into that but uh <laughs> back then in, in 2012 you know i was just like mind blown by all of this and you know i didn't really go to the city much at that age but when i was there it was like this whole different world and i became really fascinated with like the huge difference the inequality between like the haves and the have-nots right like yale's this prestigious exclusive institution with an even more you know, exclusive history of the secret societies. And I felt really, I felt really like, you know, this was something that was delivered to me, like a message like, hey, look into this further. And as my life progressed, I got different jobs that kept leading me back to New Haven and Yale. And eventually I uh, was an Amazon delivery driver when the whole COVID thing went down. Uh, I loved that job because I would literally just listen to podcasts and like it was like school, you know, but I was getting paid to learn because I'd listen to all these conspiracy podcasts and smoke weed on the job and just, you know, keep it moving, hustling. And then COVID came, masks, lasers in your face. You got to do this. You got to do that. And I put on this. I put a, this big like stink at work and I was like, fuck this. Fuck you guys. Amazon sucks. Blah, blah, blah. And then the next day I was fired, which yeah. right, rightly so. I, I, I was, you know, frustrated, I mean, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but it all led to, to me kind of being like, oh shit, well, I've been doing these podcasts with Sam. Why am I just sitting around not doing podcasts, lit a fire under my ass and 
as you can see behind me, I have like hundreds of books. So I've already been, yeah. you know, prepared well, and, in a weird way and it all just kind of came together. Nice. So how did the guy know that George W. Bush's, I guess would be grandfather mm -hmm. uh, or Herbert Walker's father, how did he know they stole his Geronimo's skull? So this is a, this is a complicated story and I, learned all this stuff from Amos and it kind of just got tucked away in my, my mind. And then I went back and I, I verified it through different sources that I now have around me. This is my favorite book on the topic, but what, what, it, I'm sorry, hold that up in the mist, just in front of your face. People can't see it. Fleshing, uh, fleshing, skull fleshing out skull and bones. Okay. So there's, it's well documented. You know, one of the main things that I point people to if they're skeptical about Geronimo's uh, skull and bones being taken, first of all, it was a story that Prescott Bush shared himself and bragged about, right? So there's, there's anecdotal evidence that Prescott Bush. And did he dig uh, up the body? Yeah, they, because think about it. At, in the 19th century, right? The, the turn of the 19th, 20th century, the Native Americans were very much still an enemy of the colonized America, right? So George Prescott, you know, he was a soldier. He was going out, he was fighting in, I think it was like the war against the Mexicans at the time. And the Mexicans had allied with the Apache. So, you know, Geronimo wasn't just like a Native American criminal because they were considered criminals back then. He was also like an enemy uh, of the state. He was like this, the way we talked about Osama bin Laden. and like Yeah, the, it was like a terrorist, was, basically. Exactly. So having his skull was this tremendous trophy, like, oh, we, we beat the Native Americans in this war. So they went as you know young soldiers. I think they were stationed at Fort Sill in Oklahoma, which was right near where Geronimo had been buried. They went and they robbed his grave and, they brought his uh, femur bones and his skull back to the tomb at uh, Yale's campus. It's right on High Street uh, across the, the intersection from the Starbucks there. But, uh, yeah, the, the tomb has tons of skeletons in it. You know, it's all alleged, but I can attest <laughs> my father uh, works for the water company. And, uh, you know, he, he's verified some of the things that that I've, I've researched because he's been in the tomb uh, for the utility capacity, you know, working on the water and whatnot, not there as a, a member or anything. So he's verified some of the things that I've read about. And, uh, you know, other people I've spoken to have verified things that I, I, I've read about. So I don't have a lot of trouble believing that Geronimo's skull was taken to the tomb for multiple reasons. Um, we can get into the occult significance of why a group like Skull and Bones would want to collect skulls. But uh, but as far as like the kind of fraternal um, trickster, prankster kind of aspect of it, it, it was, yeah, it was just like kind of an old timey prank, I guess. It was like, yeah, a dare they called it crooking. Yeah. Crooking. But it was specifically digging up graves and stealing skulls. Well, I have the su suspicion that, you know, in the early days of academia, when grave robbing was very much illegal, but uh, things like autopsies were very much something people wanted to accomplish, they would hire young students to go and rob graves so they could have cadavers to study in the medical school. So, they would hire um, yeah, th this practice definitely evolved over time. And nowadays, you know, maybe in the past 50 years, skull and bones men would steal maybe things like license plates or yeah, you know, just, just memorabilia. Right, right. So you wanted to, uh, we were talking before about, uh, I, I don't know if your expertise per se, it seems like you kind of are a bit of a, a polymath, especially when it comes to all this 
uh, but uh, like essentially American history was was uh, kind of like some, I guess. What, what did you say? Secret American history. Yeah, and how, I guess specifically why and how Skull and Bones fits into that uh, is where it's relevant to me. But I'll just speak generally to the fact that America has a secret history, right? I mean, it's as, it's very easy to understand. Anybody who grows up with parents knows you, know, you keep things from your parents. Your parents keep things from you. People keep secrets from the people that they're closest to, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's only... Uh, Right. That America has this same sort of thing, this public history full of lies and this secret history that is kept very, very close, uh, close guarded. And, and some of those things go back way before Columbus. Uh, some of those things connect to things that were described in the Bible, things that Plato described. Um, I Wait, am- so, you're, hold on, so you're saying that there's references in the Bible to stuff that happened in America? Oh, absolutely. The people who who settled America, I mean, the Bible was one of the only, you know, books that they had among some of the, the classics. But yeah, absolutely. The the things that are talked about in the Bible, definitely. Uh, but like, are these revisions of the like, were these because I guess there's no the I guess the most current version of the Bible was still. Well, when they talk about the Nephilim, when they talk about the Elohim, yeah, I the opinion or the perspective that they're talking about this pre-Diluvian world, uh, this pre-flood world where, let's say Atlantis, let's say these advanced civilizations. Like Tartaria, stuff like that? Well, Tartaria, we could put a pin in that. But Atlantis, um, I think, is, is, is one way to understand it correctly. But other cultures have remembered the culture of Atlantis by different but similar names in South America, they called it Atslan. So, you know, to me, it's not even a matter of like, uh, you know, syncretism. It's just, they, they were all remembering the same world, uh, culture that was destroyed in a catastrophe. Now, and that's the good, that's the great flood essentially. And how does that connect to America? Well, let's put it in these terms. Uh, There was a great catastrophe. The people fled. They went to other places. Time went on. A lot of people forgot, but some remembered. And when they remembered and they had the means to go back, they didn't forget what they remembered from the old world. And they used that to colonize the old world. When, what was it, um, Montezuma and those guys came to, to invade and take over uh, the Aztecs and the Inca, they didn't do it blindly. They knew exactly who they would be meeting. They had a book this thick telling them all about the cultures they would interact with and how to accurately defeat them. That's why they showed up dressed in feathers and gold, because they knew that these cultures would consider them gods. So... It's history has been taught to us in a very, in a very duplicitous way. It's been taught to us with a bunch of things that are like weaponized folklore, weaponized mythology. They they fit conveniently into the psychological hero's journey that humans want to see the world in. But uh, America is a story of villains. You know, there's there's definitely more villains in our history than there is heroes. Sure. And, I'm someone who believes in the Constitution. Hell, I live in the Constitution state. And I think a lot of people forget that Connecticut has so much importance in American history. So that's kind of why I do the research I do, because Yale University, Skull and Bones, 
secret societies, the oil industry, the opium trafficking industry. These are all connected. These are all connected to the banking industry, these Wall Street folks who, I mean, they're racketeering, basically. That's all it is. And it's just collecting the wealth within uh, bloodlines, you know, and it sounds a lot more sinister than it might look from the people who witness the lives of these people. But that's the banality of evil at work. These people, they're so insulated from the victims of their crimes that they, they're never affected by it. It's like sitting on top of a, a a tank that's a mile tall. You never feel the bumps from it's crushing. Yeah, you're saying you live in just a different Exactly. Essentially. And that's the kind of thing that America has designed from the beginning, right? There's been this class system that's inlaid within American culture that uh, Skull and Bones is neatly rested at the top of. And, you know, you talked about Hitler at the beginning of the show. Well, who financed Hitler? Skull and Bones did, right? And and people uh, associated with Skull and Bones benefited. And, the, and are these just financiers, essentially, like kind of high, they're, they're high finance? People, well, there are people that want to see a certain, uh, you know, turn of events take place. They want to put the dominoes in a certain way so that when it gets pushed over, they fall in the direction that they want it to fall in. They just have to set up the the pieces. They don't have to push it over. You know, that's that's kind of the idea with how these people work. They think in, you know, generations, not decades. Right. They think about their great, great, great grandfather. Uh, or and their in turn great 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 grandson and you know what they've inherited and what they're passing on and most people in America don't think like that you know we think about what's going on in our life and that's designed the education system has split into two branches the the enslaved and the enslavers you know and you put it in those terms and it's it's really brutal but when you look at the university system today and what they have these children like sensationalized or uh, fanatical over it's 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 race relations and Mm -hmm. i find that really distressing because the true issues that are at work are class related they're not race related race is a construct that was designed by these same people to divide us and that's why these schools that are connected to the elite systems you know they're they're almost being rotted away by their own toxins that they've spewed into the culture you know it's kind of funny there's a story that came out recently about skull and bones and how the members want to take all of the alumni's photos down because they're all white men and it's like yeah yale only accepted men until the 70s and it only accepted white people (laughs) until the 70s and it only let women into the secret societies in the 90s and you know so on and so forth and it's all kind of snowballed to Really, I, I I guess if you let women in secret societies, that's the end of those. <laughs> well, that's what they were saying in the 90s. And yeah. exactly. A lot of the uh, I think a lot of the old boys at that time realized that uh, their networking structures were not going to do the same thing that they did for the previous 150 or so. And years. What are like some other like notable members of Skull and Bones? Because it seems like in terms of the hierarchy of. Uh, I guess colleges, universities, there's, you know, Yale's, I guess, is up there. It seems like Harvard is like, does Harvard have an equivalent? Do they cross over into one oh, yeah. larger? But like, is that, is that like the Bohemian Harvard. Grove stuff where like the, that's where they all go to? Like, it's almost like a feeder system. 
What you have to understand about Harvard, Yale, Cambridge, and Oxford is they're all the same entity. They're all the same. So Harvard founded Yale, essentially. The guys who founded Yale were all educated at Harvard, right? It's a separate institution in the sense of like, you know, finances and, and who's invested in it and whatnot. Sure. But it's a feeder system for this elite class. So you have this group of people who were loyalists during the, the Revolutionary War here in America. Not all of them went to Canada after Americans, you know, won. They stayed in New England. That's why these wasps are the way they are. That's why New England has a pronounced different culture than the rest of the country. And it's kind of an anglicized uh, European almost culture in, in many ways. Not everybody. I'm from you know the Northeast and, you know, very blue collar roots. So it's different now. But back then, especially when Yale was founded, it was all, you know, people who had connections in Europe, maybe were politically um, ousted. Right. So they came here for political power and the, the, you know, haves and have nots of Europe became haves here. You know, the, these people, they took advantage of America's new unfolding system. Um, but to get back to your question about Harvard and Yale, Harvard has the Porcelain Club. Uh, which is a, an equivalent to the senior societies at Yale. But the reason why Yale's secret societies are important compared to the other Ivy League schools is because Yale has always been connected to espionage, okay? And that's what the secret societies are really about. It's about espionage. It's about warfare. You don't do this kind of stuff unless there's a there's a war being waged, right? That war is being waged against the American public, back then and now and are um, they like doing this uh i don't want to say on purpose but like is that the goal like like what what ex are, are they explicitly trying to do i can't imagine they're wanting to explicitly wage war against the american public like is it just come down to all this stuff just money in the end they're just trying to acquire more money and resources yeah resources you know money Money is not what they're looking for. Money is our thing. Money is how we're enslaved. Resources is what they're after. Land, resources. That's it. It's That's as simple as it gets. In, and industry as well. And you have to keep a tight knit on these things. They got to be sewn together real tight. And that's how they do it. That's how they, they accumulate power. And that's why the wars that are being fought uh, are being fought in a way that you know, people in this country, they think it's a democracy, yet we've been perpetually at war. And the, the anti-war movement wasn't just something in the 60s. It's, this is something that America has historically always had is grassroots anti-war movements because America's perpetually been at war. Um, America's not a country in the same sense that other countries are countries. America's more of a corporation being used by these elites yeah. to, to, to meet a certain ends to a goal so when you think about it in those terms it's it's easier to understand how there's a war against us it's not so much that we're we're the their enemy we're, we're their slaves we're, we're being used and uh you know that's how all cultures run in a sense when you look at it you know explicitly right mm -hmm. there's systems in every culture monarch. yeah because it seems pretty pretty common thing in, in most cultures by the way uh phone lines are open everybody one triple eight nine four nine two nine six nine if you have any questions for mark uh here's the, here's the distinction and i think this is the shocking part that people might want to sit down and listen for is is that 
you know, America has this like, again, this secret history, but it also has this secret spirituality, this this other this occult. And it's becoming more and more apparent. And the reason why that is, is because we're being initiated slowly into this. Talk, talk about this occult stuff more, actually, because I see a cult a lot. I'm and, you know, I, I see it used. I honestly sometimes I'm like, I'm not even sure sometimes the context of it. Like when people say like a call, like what are we even talking about when we say a call? Like I had Isaac uh, Weisopt on the show and uh, I'm sure you, I, I'm sure you know him, but uh, he was talking about a lot about that stuff. And sometimes it, like I feel it gets actually, you know what? Hold on to that. We got a call and then uh, we'll, we'll get to that uh, after the call. One moment, please. Them, sure. Yeah. Hello, you're on low value mail. Who am I speaking with? Oh, my goodness. I made it in. Holy you did make oh hey it. this is logan sorry for what's up today. oh what's up logan all right logan you're on go ahead all right Mr. hello first time long time i always wanted to say that uh nice. mark i just want to say i love your show you do good work danny you're cool i don't mean to be flirting so much in the chat it just <laughs> kind of comes naturally it's all good dude uh you but yeah i don't i don't have anything constructive to add i'm sorry I just oh you just wanted to, to call in and just say what's up that's cool you can do that, that that's uh oh actually i do i do have a question for mark i can't hear him though i'm here okay. yeah, he's a good one. thanks for the uh okay so sorry go ahead thanks for listening to the show of course man i i, I can't afford danny needs a lot of money so i can't really afford to you know support two podcasters but uh <laughs> anyway i have a weird question this is totally out of left field everyone in the chat's gonna roast me mark personal question sort of philosophy so i have this weird hypothesis i just want to bounce it off you so i have this weird feeling and i have no proof or evidence basically i like to think that all the conscious beings on this planet are just slivers of a higher dimensional consciousness if you will but uh, we're all here in purgatory or in training or something to that nature. And I just want to know how that bounces off of you. Interesting. Well, and training for what? Or you're saying you don't know what we're here. This is just, this, this is well, one, it's like this is one level purpose. in a rung kind of. It's like the base level. It's like uh, our consciousness could not collectively ascend until it is able to uh, responsibly handle the powers it would have. So you crazy hypothesis, I know. Uh, so all of our consciousness would have to agree. You're talking about avatism. You're talking about the idea. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yes. And uh, that comes from, it's, it's like, you know, eh, what 16th, 17th century Hinduism, this idea. And it's kind of like, uh, east meets west right because people forget that uh, a lot of the spiritual ideas now are actually like a mixing of when the east and the west started to really kind of come together so avatism is a, i personally think it makes a lot of sense but i would uh i would defer to somebody who's an expert in it uh but i personally whenever i've um Whenever I've listened or read stuff in that regard, when we're talking about us as like a holographic being in a larger sort of Matruska egg layout where we're like connected to the, the dimension we can experience while simultaneously 
connected to, let's say, 12 others that we aren't necessarily consciously experiencing, but in a way, uh, another part of us is. I think that helps explain ideas like guardian angels, reincarnation, ghosts. So I like to live in that world of uh, avatism. I, I don't know that I'd necessarily ascribe myself to all the rigidity that it takes to be a yogi, but I do like the way they see the world. I, I think it's, but it's a very um, aesthetic way of life. So, yeah, but it takes that kind of aestheticism, I guess, to, to clear everything out and really see what the realm is for what it is. But, you know, Sam Tripoli talks about like, we live in a realm. I think that's what he, he's kind of talking in layman's terms about is we live in a realm is avatism, you know? So I encourage people to look that up. A V A T I S S M avatism. A lot of people in the chat are Thank uh, you for familiar with Tism. Oh, sorry, so. Yeah, no, it's all good. Um, <laughs> they know that second part. All right, later, buddy. All right. Well, I can everybody. address your occult question. Now. Yes, the occult stuff. So when people talk about the occult, because honestly, I I don't like I hear it a lot. And sometimes I'm honestly like, I don't get really the context of it. Like, are we talking witchcraft? It's a little bit of that. So let me explain it in these terms, because when it comes to like the way commonly the occult is used, I, I often take a lot of umbrage with it. I think people use it uh, a little too freely. But when it comes to the occult, all it means is hidden, right? So when you have a hidden symbol or a hidden agenda, it's almost like a subliminal message, right? When people talk about occult at the Super Bowl halftime show or when people talk about occult in a movie or occult on television, they're talking about subliminal messaging. And the reason why they're talking about that is because we live in a, a world that's lying to us, right? We live in a world that is telling us that, oh, yeah, America's a Christian nation. We're, we're Christian. We believe in God. You know, go to church, read the Bible, kick a football, drink a beer, have fun. Meanwhile, uh, our politicians and uh, people who have helped, you know, create the institutions that we now take for granted, they're not Christians, right? I mean, the founding fathers were deists, which is something that's kind of an evolving idea from the Renaissance that we as human beings have agency and we as human beings, I think, therefore I am and it's very it's very academic to get into all this stuff. So I'll try to keep it as general as possible. But when it is the occult symbols that people are noticing, they're almost expressing like gaslighting. They're like, I'm being gaslit right now. Like you're showing me something and I know it's there, but you're denying it because you want me to fucking be instigated right now. I think that's that's the feeling that like I they're get. they're basically being put in plain sight. These little uh, clues, essentially, these little kind of like when it connects to conspiracy theories, when it connects to conspiracy theories, it almost sheds light on this concept that a lot of conspiracy theorists call revelation of the method or almost like a karmic defense where they can't say these things explicitly, but in order for their karma, whatever that means to them to be refreshed or renewed so that they're not seen as, you know, sinners in the eyes of God. Sure. Uh, they, need to, they need to basically spill the beans a little bit, to snitch on the, themselves a little bit. 
to to put it on us. So because we're too stupid to figure it out, it's our fault and the karma goes on us. So they can do all these crimes. And as long as they flash their occult symbols, they're justified. I think that's a stretch too far sometimes, but I do see the logic in that. Um, but I, I again, like I mentioned Michael Hoffman before, a lot of his ideas have been diffused into the conspiracy culture yeah. without without re any real authorship towards him. So I think if people are interested in the occult, they should read Secret Societies and Psychological Warfare to understand how the occult is used in modern culture in a nefarious or uh, in a sort of sinister kind of way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hold on. Let me take a call right here. One moment, please. Hello, you're on Low Value Mail. Who am I speaking with? Hi, uh, this is... Uh, hi, how's it going? What's up, Good. Danny? Uh, this is Kyle. Kyle, one moment, please. Uh, Kyle, you are on with Mark. Go ahead. Hey, what's up, Mark? Um, so, um, uh, no, uh, just, just kind of for uh, both of you, um, kind of for, like, the audience, too. Um, just the idea, because um, I've been watching... Um, not to, you know, I know that you guys have like an idea of like Geronimo, like the, you know, the podcast kind of like, like Geronimo and like all, all that stuff. But, um, what about, what about, um, the idea of like music kind of influencing the boomers, classic rock, um, yeah. where it weirdly became classic rock and you know, it almost seems like, you, Kyle? Yeah, yeah, that that's yeah, that's uh well the classic rock stuff started with Elvis and a lot of people think Elvis is like, you know, Baptist cornbread American like I was saying before, but he was an occultist. He was interested in the occult. He he thought of himself as this sort of like shaman who was bringing in this new wave. This all started in the 1800s at the World's Fair when a, a woman named uh, Little Egypt danced provocatively and the whole country went crazy. And that was the beginning of the sexual revolution at the Chicago World's Fair. And it had that Egyptian connotation because it's an occult. It's an occult movement. America currently being initiated and the music that you're describing in classic rock, that was like when the veil became very thin and, and that was purposeful, right? The, the 60s were a powerful time. People were charged up. It was in the air. People wanted to get out of society at that time. And what did they do? They, they strummed them all back to, you know, becoming a nine to five Mom and pop keeping up with the Joneses and all that good stuff. Get your white picket fence. And that's what the classic rock movement was all about. Really quick, brother. Uh, can I ask you, because I'm, I'm from the East Coast. Um, I'm from Mass. Uh, I'm from the East Coast. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm right near the Massachusetts border, but I'm from the New Haven area. Oh, man. So, well. Do you feel like our whole society like kind of would have been like if you kind of you're kind of breaking up there a bit actually I don't know if you're no can you hear me now yeah yeah we can hear you um do you think like our society would kind of been different if like the sea didn't kind of infiltrate with the classic rock so you're saying the cia didn't infiltrate with the classic I got, rock? yeah i got what he said i think yeah i think uh you know america at that time 
could have went in any direction, especially after World War Two. You got to consider how, you know, the country was really reeling from that, not just America, but the whole world. So but this is all steps towards globalism. OK, and yeah, America would be a different place without the CIA, but uh, the CIA wouldn't be here without Skull and Bones and Yale University and some of the things that we're talking about. So I think it, it's, you know, at this point in the conversation, it's a little too late to think like, hey, what if they didn't because they did. And, you know, all we could do now right. is, is is work from where we are. And uh, I think the best thing to do is to bring awareness, you know, talk to people about the music they love and maybe say to them like, hey, did you know that the you know, Led Zeppelin, one of the things that they would do is they would spill blood on their master tapes and then do like a satanic ritual and 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 enchant yeah. some kind of like weird yeah. stuff over the master tape and that's what went into all the vinyls or like i mean that's just one sensational take but there's plenty of like things you can point at and say like why did this happen? yeah that like but all right so but before i before i uh before i leave um or get you know, my time's up. Can I say one thing? Like, yes, please go ahead. It, so, um, I, I've, I've been watching, um, a series by, uh, Dr. Hans, H-A-N-S, Utter, like the word Utter, um, German guy. Um, he's a very good satirist and he breaks down how the CIA and, you know, I probably shouldn't be saying this, but, uh, cause he, you know, he, you shouldn't be saying this. Some, I, I mean, like he, he even said, like he, he got some like flack for like saying this. Are you going to talk yeah, about yep. the tuning, the tuning and how they've changed the tuning, uh, the way music is tuned, the standard. Well, no, that that's part of it. Yeah. The a, a 432, um, like the Hertz, like, like that stuff but uh but like just just the um the way that the uh the you know bob dylan like like all that stuff like it, it went from classical music to this weird type of classic rock that was all sexual like very much in the, oh, for the sure. span of like, oh, oh you're basically saying why there was kind of no sexuality like they were it was very buttoned down and then music became kind of like overtly sexual seemingly overnight i guess and the, music, yeah. the music had a, a psychophysiological effect is that what you're suggesting no 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 like like there's documented like it'll show you like year by year like from like 19, like, I don't know, like the exact years, but I think it's like 58, 59 to like 60. It just became, it went from like from classical composing was like, you couldn't even do that anymore into like classic rock, which wasn't even a thing. And it was like. Yeah, when you no say classic sense. rock, though, obviously you're just being rock and roll because I guess it wasn't classic then. Right, right, but you're it was saying whatever, whatever is classic. I mean, yeah, I don't. That's, that's are you talking? Are you talking like Beach Boys? Or are you talking like Beatles? What do you mean by classic rock? Because there, in my mind, there's like there's like you know greaser rock, and then there's like hippie rock. Well, I, well, I mean, there's like, I, I mean, like, uh, like it just. I mean, 
came, but like it, it just suddenly it like emerged out of nowhere. Well, that's the thing though; it didn't emerge out of nowhere. I I, I just mentioned this before the Chicago World's Fair, Little Egypt. No, but it was a gradual. It was a gradual progression from the 1800s. People forget how big the occult was in the 1800s. People were regular members of all sorts of different secret societies. The Freemasons were at an all-time like high membership. So maybe it didn't emerge out of nowhere, but classical music went uh like well, no one who still who still that might be a taste classical. thing though i mean my who parents still listens to classical music uh the chinese uh, the <laughs> intellectual my parents are not world. chinese but my they, they like that shit i don't know but yeah the not a lot not a lot of people the intellectual elite still love classical music and i think that's exactly what i was describing before where culture has been manufactured away from this ideal which is all the human beings are kind of in this one boat striving towards a common goal to this more parasitic dynamic where you have a very elite group of people who need this host group of people to achieve it sounds like you're getting kind of like religious about it like it, i'm just talking about like the bare bones facts of it like it went yeah, from classical, but like caller, couldn't it have been like because uh, a lot of times with certain things, you know, especially before when the technology was much like slower, it could have just been gradually building up and then it hits a critical mass, and it seems like it happened overnight when in fact it was actually just gradual, but you're just not really not noticing it until it just kind of you know blows up, blows up, so to speak. I, I, I well, Danny, I hear what you're saying, but think about this, like. You literally have, like, it's the 30s. You have classical composure, you have folk music, and then all of a sudden you have Elvis. Was there folk music in the 30s? I don't see my well, music history is not that good. I don't, I don't, uh, yeah. Well, and that's the thing though is like, it seems like there was Django Reinhardt and all that stuff and kind of that had, jazz and you had uh, multiple factors going on. First of all, you have the industrial revolution, which is allowing for the mass production of instruments in the first place. So now people are getting their hands on instruments, right? They're not just like things you can make with, you know, your know-how and whatever you have lying around. I'm talking about guitars and things that need to come through a factory or, or some skill. Yeah hands right these things start to get more widespread and available so people start making music on their own and you know these corporations they need to own everything right so they own the style they own the popular creators they put these stars these celebrities out in front of the public this is all very occult thing you know you you, you made the comment that it sounds like i'm being religious I personally, you know, I'm non-denominational. I'm almost agnostic. I do believe in a creator, but I don't hold to any, you know, one denomination or, or, or religion. But when it comes right. to elite and it comes to the, 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 the factors in society. Oh, caller. That, yeah, go ahead. When it comes to the factors in society that are being weaponized against us, which is what you're describing, I'm of the opinion that the people in the upper echelons of the society saw music's potential to 
facilitate certain emotional states, mental states, and they designed a culture where the common man would engage with music that didn't uplift them the same way classical music did. It didn't enlighten them the same way classical music was designed to do. So I'm not saying that classical music disappeared afterwards because I think classical music was something that was cherished by people who saw the value in it and said, hey, this is something that's potent. It's powerful. Let's, you know, use it for us. You know, that's kind of the unfortunate thing is absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? And you give these people the the capability to say, all right, well, everybody's instruments are going to be tuned to this standard and every company that makes music is going to be tuned to this standard. People are going to abuse that kind of power, whether it's music, whether it's art, whether it's government, whether it's, you know, technology, people are going to abuse power right. for, for yeah. greed. So I think what you're uh, talking about, it has cultural implications because it's the sexualization of a culture. It's the breakdown of a culture. It's it has to do with the eugenics the population. It's very very complex what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. All right, one last thing, caller. Go ahead. All right. So all, all I'm going to say is, what, what about the fact that that after after the '40s, nobody that made classic composure could get any funding? You don't think that that wasn't manufactured? Before that, so I think we're I think we're saying the same things, but you're privy to more information on this subject than I am. So if you're telling me that classical music was not funded after that that period in time, then that I, I wouldn't doubt that. Was I, okay, actually, caller, I do have one question here. When you say funded, like I I don't know how the music industry used to work, but I assume it's similar to I you know other than the whole payola stuff, where like that's how you got on the radio was basically bribery, but. Like when you say funded, like you mean by some sort of like benefactor, or like what do you mean by that? So this is what I'm saying is, I mean, if you if you just look at it, it it, it used to be like you know before the FM radio, it was just people making music, you know, playing the guitar with like in their houses. Yeah, I mean, there was definitely live people went and saw live performances of music. Some of the earliest rock and roll stars did like, you know, they would just go to a radio station and play all the hits. They didn't have any original songs of their own. They were just so skilled at guitar that they would sit in the station. I get where you're coming from. I think what we're talking about here is the same thing. We agree with each other. We're coming from a different perspectives. But my point is these music... Get show. Like I'm not trying to sound like a skip no, show, but like you don't at all. No, yeah, no, don't. no, 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 no. Um, we got we got to take another call though. But uh, I appreciate you address one point oh, that he said. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. Go, go. You know, these are criminal organizations we're talking about. There's a money incentive. There's a financial incentive here, and the music industry has been used to sell us, you know, intoxicants. It's been used to sell drugs. It's been used to sell alcohol. You know, the people that were funding, you know, Elvis and uh, these guys, they weren't like stand-up guys they were involved in crime the mafia. yeah well rock and, rock and roll did kind of like sprout up out of pretty much let me, let me say yeah, that i don't know about uh kyle I, I gotta let you go though email me get in touch with me on instagram and me and you will we'll do a podcast together about yeah you, yeah you gotta chat about it okay let's take another call here uh interesting stuff hello you're on low value mail who am i speaking with uh gabriel Gabriel, one moment, please. No music questions. Uh, Gabriel, you're on with Mark. Go ahead. 
Hey, uh, very interesting conversation you guys were having about the music. Yeah. Just wanted to chime in. Uh, so, yeah, folk music has been around for a long time since, like the 1800s. Okay. Coming over from Irish and Ulster, Ulster Scottish people. Uh, the first recordings that uh, Columbia Records did, uh, one of their first recording acts, the Carter family, uh, that you may know from June Carter, uh, Johnny Cash's wife, that's her family. Uh, they were one of the first recording artists. Uh, it's, it, I mean, it's interesting listening to some of the, I guess, conspiracy theories that the previous caller was going on about. But I think you can look back to a lot of different artists that are involved in a lot of different kinds of music. And... Um, Absolutely, there was an over-sexualization that was quite rampant in music, but you can you can see it building up in the 20s. You can see it building up in the 30s. Things are getting pretty raunchy. You know what I mean? I guess it's the just, question uh, is, is who was what, who or what was driving it? Like, was that just a natural progression where they eventually just arrived there? Or was there some sort of, you know, grander plan behind this? Well, why can't it be both? Okay, and, and I, I see Mark shaking his head no, so he, he obviously I, has some feelings about that. Yeah, I'm, I'm not saying no or yes, but I, I'll give my opinion on it. I think that it's, uh, it's a matter of humanity has been degrading over time, and you can blame that on multiple things, but I tend to think it's more of the yuga cycle where things go from you know lead to bronze to silver to gold and back through the cycle oh. again and again and this is what the ancients tell us so you know we should trust sure. that they, they've built things that have lasted for millions of years so i don't know i i think the the elites they've basically they've just gotten ahead of this process and they've like tried to speed it up. You know, if anything, they see what's coming and they're trying to get ahead of it and be on the right side of it. And part of what I've researched with skull and bones is that these people believe that they're actually doing God's will by, by doing evil. Right. And as someone who's not mm -hmm. religious in that sense, you know, I can't relate to that level of extremism in an ideology, but I think if you look at, uh, American culture, it's become more and more, um, let's say, <laughs> uh, pagan, but I don't like using that term because it makes me sound like a Christian. Really, what America's done is it's gone back to this very ancient um, sort of cult-like religion and it's a it's a crypto religion it's a hidden religion it's something that people believe in and you know we have this buzzword satanism that you know gets a lot of you know uh sensational takes but i really believe that when they say satan they mean set from egypt and that you know osiris and isis these are the gods of the old world that these religions really believe in and when you see the music today, it's definitely leading in a direction that suggests there are these occult influences at work. I mean, that going back to your question before, Danny, you know, big thing for people is like, oh, there's occult symbols in the music industry now. You know, look at these rappers, look at these pop artists, look at this, look at that. And I, I'm not saying don't look at all this stuff, but when you understand where these symbols are coming from, that these are Egyptian symbols, it makes you curious. At least I'm curious as to, all right, where's all this coming from? And as I said earlier, 
in the 1800s, uh, people were obsessed with Egypt. They were obsessed with the occult. And I personally, I don't think that that, that stopped. I think it just went underground and became sort of, uh, as most trends do, sophisticated and and only for the you know elite and well-to-do. Um, but yeah, it, when it comes to the music industry, you know, to mention the previous caller's statements about, you know, classic rock and how it just seems to come out of nowhere or it just initiates this this degradation in quality of music, whether you're talking about the actual audible nature of the music and frequency and tone and harmony and in the chord progression. I've talked to musicians who say a lot of the music is like regurgitated. It's a lot of the same chords, especially pop oh, music. Now it's pop music is like two different chord progressions, essentially. So, and I think that's been weaponized against us. And that's what the previous caller maybe this caller is also in agreement with is like yeah the music is being weaponized and like folk music which thankfully and now is to what and when you say weaponized like to what end just to make us kind of complacent oh. and just yeah i think you know it doesn't serve society to have a bunch of critically thinking intellectuals i think you know at least that's how the elites see it you know maybe it does maybe they're wrong and this is the weird way that life evolves and it needs to like swing to this very far degree on the pendulum before it swings back and then we have you know another renaissance where most people are kind of uh in the know on all things um but yeah i mean it's may, obvious. May I, look at social media you look at music you look at culture today it's it's very low iq it's it's like it's driven to be low iq yeah uh anything uh, else caller may, may i Hello? Yeah, yeah, you're on. Okay, uh, may may I interject? Sure, um, go ahead. I agree, and I've been, well, I agree to a certain extent. I, you know, if you've been paying attention to music, like I remember when Soldier Boy came out, and all the kids in school were kind of freaking out about it, and I was kind of looking around being like, this is pretty fucking retarded, you know, and I kind of, you know, fast forward to current day. And absolutely, I would say that if your musical diet is one that's only dumbed down, then you have a problem. But I think that people are multifaceted creatures and that um, you can attribute it to like almost like a, a perspective of Zen Buddhism where the field must go fallow for something to grow out of it because you know it needs to resub the soil needs to resupply oh, yeah. itself with nutrients but i for myself personally um i love a lot of classical music and then sometimes i'll throw on some stupid fucking aqua and like bounce around to dr jones like an idiot you know but and so i, I don't want to sound like a, a snob over here like uh, you know i hate all music and it's all dumb like for me rap was a huge you know, educator, like I listen to a lot of underground rap that used to be about conspiracy theories and questioning the norm and going against the mainstream. Nowadays, it's kind of shifted away from that. But originally, rap was very much like a enlightening, illuminating kind of thing. So to your point, yeah, things always kind of go that way. And uh, I think it's almost like, again, like the elites, they don't plan everything necessarily, but they see what 
you know, they predict things and they, they put money behind things that they think is, is going to profit them. Right. So when something's popular, they, they derail it and they, they bring it into their zone of influence. And that's happened with any style of music that becomes popular. It doesn't start with the elite. It starts with unique, creative people who generally are usually, you know, on the lower end of the economic scale and they get an opportunity and then it becomes this thing that gets exploited and, and degraded and, and, becomes unpopular because people look for things that are authentic they like that's why comedy is so awesome nowadays because it's so, one of the only places you know at least the comedy podcast realm some of the the shows are the only places where you can really feel like you know authentic comedy like what i remember when i was growing up some of the things on television kind of resembled that or or it kind of reminds me of the the types of conversations i would have with friends in high school so on and so forth right this like real sense of humor that now is being kind of wokeified away from us it's the same thing you know it, it's it's culture you know it, it becomes this you know thing that gets weaponized there's all sorts of factors but yeah overall, we, we, secret just, societies are the main engine behind uh the the higher order of the this hierarchy of influence yeah the music thing is kind of interesting because now it seems you know anybody can you know become hugely popular just due to the i guess democratization of the internet but you know in elvis's time if some guy decided you're not going to be a famous musician like you just weren't like they really could drive tastes that way like someone could say hey this is the guy we're putting all our we're betting all our money on this guy and as long as he was obviously well, someone... when you study you study a lot of those uh, original famous classic rock acts to bring it back to the last caller's suggestion like a lot of them were connected to military intelligence their fathers worked in the military what's his name from uh the doors jim morrison his yeah. father was behind the gulf of tonkin a lot of people know that um but you know he was totally a figurehead for the psychedelic rock kind of movement that was very much a part of the the drug industry um the military's mk ultra programs where they were putting drugs into the culture and seeing how the average person would respond and clearly they they saw some sort of value in these drugs so they let them out into the culture in this sort of uh, criminalized way. I mean, this is well documented. These aren't opinions of mine. These are are facts that have been documented. That the LSD that the Grateful Dead was bringing around was being created with precursors delivered by the CIA and other people connected to these groups. I mean, that must know, have the, been some fucking bomb acid. Um, all right, thanks, caller. We're gonna take we're gonna take another call. Thanks, Bill. Again, uh, hit me up. Yeah, uh, and we'll we'll put that in the comments or whatever below. So people can contact you. Uh, one moment, please. Hello. You're on Low Value Mail. Who am I speaking with? Hello. Hello. Can you hear me? Uh, yes, we can hear you. You are on with Mark. Who are we speaking with? Nice. Uh, this is David. Hey, David. All right, go ahead. Uh, yeah, um, I was just calling in. I wanted to ask Mark... Uh, there's this uh, documentary out there. It's called Secrets in uh, Plain Sight by uh, Scott Onstott. And it kind of goes into like the, like a cult layout of like DC and like different cities in America. I uh, just wondering if you've heard anything like that. Yeah, that's actually one of the things I was prepared to talk about tonight that factors into my research pretty heavily. 
Washington, D.C. is a whole, you know, uh, mystical landscape, right? And one of my big revelations actually was me going down to D.C. during the, like the, the first summer of the pandemic. I dropped a, an Egyptian friend of mine off at the Allen Dulles airport and then drove around Washington, D.C. And um, after that, shortly after that, I realized that Washington, D.C. and the city that I had been so fascinated with, New Haven, are in an alignment with each other. OK, and there's a, yeah. a there's a ley line that I've talked a lot about that in colonial times they called Satan's axes. And you can draw this line. It goes straight through Mexico City all the way up to Stonehenge. And it crosses through Atlanta, Washington, D.C., Philadelphia, um, New Jersey, I think Trenton, New Jersey, which is the capital of New Jersey, um, New York City, New Haven, Connecticut, Boston, Massachusetts, and then goes over the ocean and into uh, the UK, where it just so happens to line up with Stonehenge when you, you know, line it up. What, what right. kind of preciseness are we talking about in terms of lining up? We're talking about like pretty dead on, like yeah. not like straight through the downtowns of each city. Sure, but, but it's pretty close, close enough for the scale of the. the yeah, well, and uh, you think about that, that's hundreds of miles. I mean, it's an incredible distance for all these things to just be lined up and sure you can draw a line across any two points on the map and a bunch of stuff's going to line up. But when it comes to these cities, they're all planned cities that were planned out in these geometrical ways that I think are utilized in an energetic capacity. You know, in the old world Tartaria conversation, people talk a lot about how old world buildings were used to channel electricity or channel some sort of energy I think that's how these um, cities were planned out. It doesn't it, it's not just for that reason. It makes logistical sense to line things up, you know, from a planning and zoning type of way, you know, from but lining it up this way. Well, when it comes to Washington, D.C., I, I don't think planning and zoning ha has anything to do with the Pentagon that is in the or pentagram rather. Sorry, pentagram that's laid out in the city streets. You know, that one's obvious. Anybody could look up Washington, D.C. layout and see the pentagram. But with New Haven, you know, New Haven, Connecticut is America's first planned city, which to me you know, and other researchers, firsts are a big deal. Anytime you have a first, that's a big deal, right? So New Haven's the first planned city, and it's planned out in a nine-square grid. Um, this nine-square grid, this shape is used in Kabbalah magic. It represents Saturn. Um, the nine squares represents Saturn. Um, and, you know, Washington, D.C. has its own magic going on. Again, I haven't spent enough time with it but there are definitely people doing the research there uh with philadelphia you have an incredible incredible just again mystical landscape something that people often notice in philadelphia is the amount of artwork the statues that are all over the city this is purposeful okay all of this stone carries a resonance and you know, this might sound hard to believe, but these groups that have been historically in control of the country have the ability to influence people using these arc pieces of architecture. I mean, it's that simple. It's almost like you put, you know, the brain in the right battery 
you know, matrix, you know, computer chip, right? Think of these cities as like a computer chip. And wherever they put their temple, that's the nucleus. They might not be, you know, controlling every everybody's minds directly. But this gives them power. It gives them influence. I mean, obviously. Via, via so statues, you're saying? In, in, in what ways? Well, statues are in a way like the definition of the 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 living art of the of a place the the culture of a place you know standing there like in form it's mm -hmm. like it takes on a very almost like intangible kind of sense but when it comes to these groups they obviously have sociological power over people they the networking those are the obvious things but when it comes to this like hidden religion that's where they show it off or that's where they initially showed it off. Now they show it off in Super Bowl commercials and things like that. But, you know, in the 19th century, when they're building this country and they put all these occult sim symbols in plain sight for people to see, I mean, go to your courthouse. You're not going to see Christ up there. You're going to see all these Roman gods. Right. And I'm not like delusional to think that, oh, well, you know, they're worshiping the classics. Like, I understand where the classics fit into academia and civilization, but it's deeper than that. There are these undercurrents of uh, cults. That's the only way you can really define it is a cult. There's yeah. a cult that's been alive for a very long time. It's taken different forms. And, you know, it's almost like a, a war between these groups. You know, they all kind of have the same information and they can't really rat on each other because in the whole game's, you know, kaputs. But they have enough power over each other. You know, that's where the whole blackmail kind of thing comes in. And that's a whole nother conversation. But uh, to bring it back to <laughs> what our caller was talking about with Washington, D.C., is you know, these cities, they were planned out um, to sort of fall in line with the old world way of structuring society. So, you know, this to us doesn't seem that far-fetched or, you know, why is that a big deal? Maybe is the question people have. Well, it is a big deal because again, you have a country of people who are professing to be Protestants, Christians, Catholics, you know, any medley of the mix, but they clearly aren't, revering those symbols why what are they revering and, and it's it's evident that there's a again upper echelon of society that participates in these other roles in this sort of crypto culture uh, it's not just wealth it's ideology it's spiritual beliefs and uh, you know america's been a melting pot for all these things you know it's not a coincidence that america has all these religions going on the whole freedom of religion that's built into our constitution that's purposeful i'm not again coming from a christian perspective saying oh it's all bad it's all boogeyman you know i'm not saying that but what i'm saying is people need to examine you know our our history and understand that like these cities are almost like cluing us into a secret history right because they are they're not going to give it to us in plain english okay you have to learn, you have to be initiated in order to understand what all of it means. So, and now with the internet, you can initiate yourself. You know, I've undergone that process. Look at all the books. Uh, they're like a big, you know, uh, weight ankle shackled to my ankle. All these books. I can't, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, caller, caller, I'm going to let you go there unless you have anything else. 
yeah, no, that's uh, that's great. I mean, to me, um, to me, the uh, the cult layout of these cities and the just the symbolism baked into them is like perfect proof of like you know a sort of secret history of uh, of America. Yeah, yeah, very, very interesting stuff. Uh, thanks, Colin. Does, does that have to do with like the a lot to do with the Freemasons? Like, is that because isn't a lot of it Freemasonry? A lot of that. Uh... Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's it's again, it's you know something that needs to be understood in a much larger context than just the Freemasons as a group, because the Freemasons are a continuation of an ideology it's taking a different form. So there, there were precursors to Freemasonry that are important to understand. Um, it's kind of funny. A lot of this for me as like a American teenager who dropped out of college and, you know, doesn't didn't really like school. Like it came to me through smoking weed and playing uh, Assassin's Creed. That yeah. video game that right. is based on a lot of historical stuff. And I didn't obviously base all of my stuff just from the video game. I took it to the books and, and tried to back up what I was learning in that game. Uh, cause there is real information in that game. If you can pick yeah, up yeah. on it, hold that thought. I, I, I want to take this call. Hello. Hey, Danny. What's up? How's it going? This is Goob, right? This is the Goob. Yeah. Goob. All right. You're on with Mark. Go ahead, Goob. Hey, Mark. So, uh, you were just talking about how the cities were designed in the old world style and that gives them influence and such and so i was curious what your opinion is on most of these old world buildings being destroyed and the conspiracy around that and you know seemingly the same people responsible for destroying these buildings why they might do that yeah so there's a, a number of factors uh one thing that i'll tell everybody to do is next time you're in a building that seems to be made out of steel there's a few ways you can figure that out you might look around near the windows and the corners and you'll see dead insects and you're like, why are there dead insects? Right. I mean, depends on the building. Some places are too clean for that kind of thing. But what's going on there is there's a negative dissonance that, you know, those bugs or whatever insects happen to be inside of that building for whatever reason, they're attracted to that, but then it kills them because it's like a, it's like a negative frequency, right? That, these modern buildings give off right and only the steel ones though well i'm not an expert in it but i i did recently hear a podcast that i could send to you so you can link it in the description people could follow up and, and check it out but um but yeah they were talking about this concept that's kind of related to feng shui but it's also related to construction and the materials that we use have different uh energetic properties and they all have a different frequency that they resonate at and the theory is that certain frequencies are not suitable for organic life and smaller you know forms of life like an insect they can't endure that at all it's like putting them in a microwave or something right like you know, it, right. it, they, and then i guess the question is what is it doing to us exactly so the thought that this great caller is bringing up is like hey why are they destroying all the old world buildings and you know again I think there's propaganda afoot. There's disinformation afoot. So always use critical thinking, even with what I'm telling you. Everything By the way, I Goob, Goob, when we say old world buildings, what time frame are we talking about here? Like, do you have any specifics? Typically, typically people are talking 1800s, about, according to the mainstream. 
1800s. Yeah, and typically people are talking about masonry buildings. They're talking about anything built out of stone, um, you know, not necessarily because some modern constructions incorporate masonry, but there's a style of building that, you know, just isn't, you could say it's not in fashion anymore architecturally, and that's true. But a lot of people have become suspicious because, yeah, it does seem like there's like a move to erase these buildings from history. And again, I think there could be disinformation there. So, again, take everything even that I say with a grain of salt, especially what you see on social media. But with the whole old world thing, I think it is very interesting to ponder the concept that, you know, things like electricity uh, in the form that we know today, you know, they're not the original implication of this technology it's a sort of um the other it's become like planned obsolescence where instead of building things that work for a very long time they build things that are cheap and easy to replace so they could make more money off i mean that's one real simplistic economical way to look at it but i think the old world buildings they they have a frequency they have a harmony go into a cathedral that's you know more than a couple hundred years old and you'll feel what i'm talking about because these buildings are designed to not just with the acoustics but the actual resonance of the earth itself that we as human beings are all connected to we all our whole you know organism is affected by these um energy waves right and like you know it's it's a very you know, base level type of thing that affects us possibly in a psychosocial kind of way where when we go to these buildings, it has like a healing effect. It has like a, a beneficial effect on, on society and the overall mood and health of a people. And now we've moved into a modern world where health has become a commodity. So if you have bad health, you are worth money, right? So Think about it in these terms. If if they have a bunch of buildings that freely heal people, that doesn't make anyone money. And if you look at the the Ronald Reagan, oh, let's get rid of all the, you know, psych hospitals, that wasn't about like keeping the psychic, you know, the psych people, the the crazy people and and putting them back in with their families or whatever. That was about destroying all these old places that have connections to America's history of homeopathy. A lot of people don't realize that at a certain point in American history, we had all of these amazing like health spa places that people who were sick or dying or had mental illness, they could go there and be taken care of by professionals in homeopathy. They would treat them with a number of herbal remedies that are not used today because of big you know who and you know what and all the things that we just endured in the past four years and our health being commodified that's that's as simple as it is in that sense if you want to get into the conspiracies of it all you know you could talk about mk ultra you could talk about what the uh psych meds are doing to people's heads you know there's a lot of nasty angles to it and the military is all over it they're connected to it the politicians are all bought and sold they're not helping any of us yeah and look at the state of mental health in the world today especially in america you know it's pretty bad um anything else go yeah um yeah no I, i agree with a lot of what you just said um i was i was curious what your opinion on the world's fairs are you know speaking of architecture if yeah. you think those were a lot of people what are trying, we're told or, or what yeah a lot of people are trying to 
you know, blame a lot on the World's Fair these days. And again, I think there's some disinformation going on there. But uh, what the World's Fair were was like reconstructing the human mind into this modern archetype. They changed society. They created the the future, this whole idea of, you know, an industrial society and nuclear society. This was all developed by the same people who are part of groups that practice something called eugenics. Okay. And we don't need to get into that because I know you put your content on YouTube and that'll definitely get us flagged. I've already said it a couple times, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's Depop, right? It's, that's as simple as it is. And there are groups that you, you can research that are very wealthy and connected to the same groups that we started this conversation talking about Yale university and, I mean, it's very deep, sinister stuff. And the truth is there's a group of people in the world that are parasites and we're the hosts. The common person is the host. And I think at this point, they're like, you know what? We could use the third world countries as the hosts now. We don't we don't need the first world countries as much. So I'm not saying that dark stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying they're going to get rid of us all. But I think there's definitely an incentive to make us all a third world situation. Yeah. Um, all right. Anything uh, else? Yeah, here? for sure. Danny, uh, make sure you put his contact info somewhere because I, I want to reach out. But yeah, thank yeah. you for answering my questions. Uh, yeah, we'll, it'll, it'll be below. All right. Thanks, Goob. And uh, everybody go check out uh, Goob's YouTube channel. Goob, go comment in the chat and everybody go follow Goob. Uh, he, he does some cool stream live streams on Sundays. Um, all right. We've got another caller. Thanks. Thanks again, uh, Mark, for uh, joining me today. Hello. I think I know who this is. Y'all hear me? Yup. All right. Uh, I think you're on. Yeah, there you go. You're on. The only guy who calls from an anonymous number. That's how I know it's you. Hey, yo. What's good? What's good? Hey, um, Mark, you familiar with uh, John Quincy Adams and his uh, pursuit of trading with hollow earth people? No, but I love what you're, you're, you're <laughs> yeah, yeah. brother. This what? is a cool, this is a cool rabbit hole. Adams, John Quincy Adams. I know who he is, but uh, tell me more about trading with the hollow earth people. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, so like in the shortest form, uh, y'all, y'all know that Disney, uh, animation film Atlantis, right? Yeah. That like, yeah, it's like my favorite of uh, all the Disney stuff, but, yeah, like basically, like they go up to the North Pole and they find Atlantis, like some city underneath in like some sort of hollow realm. Yeah, no, in 1824, John Quincy Adams literally sent people up to uh, up to the North Pole to be like, "Yo, we gotta go up in there because there's hollow people. We trade with them, implement that." No, no, I'm glad you're you're bringing this up. And, you know, John Quincy Adams, now that I have his information in front of me, you know, he's definitely from the milieu of people that I research. Uh, Braintree, Massachusetts, that's that's a spooky place. I'll just say that. But, uh, yeah, man, I'm really glad you're bringing this hey, up. Hey, Mark, oh. sorry, sorry, sorry to cut you guys off. Mark, uh, just because there's a bunch of people asking for your contact info, uh, do you just want to give that word? Just tell people right now, just so they can. Yeah. At my family thinks I'm crazy on Instagram is probably the best way. If you don't have Instagram, just email me at MFTIC podcast at gmail.com. MFTIC podcast at gmail.com. Okay, cool. Go ahead. Sorry to cut you off. 
Yeah, no worries. But yeah. I don't doubt it at all because, you know, back then in the 1800s when he was president, you know, the whole world was still being kind of uh, mapped out and the territories were being drawn out. So I, I, w I would not be surprised if he had some information from one of these explorers about groups of people from up there. There's a whole conversation that, you know, in the North Pole, it gets warm after you cross a certain uh, latitude. Uh, and it gets warm towards the center of the North Pole. And this whole idea that the, the North Pole is this frozen place is not true. It's actually warm there and uh, at the South Pole as well. So, yeah, I, I haven't heard that story directly, but now I'm going to go and research it further. If you have any more information that'll help me with my research, I'd appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I've heard the same thing about like, yeah, definitely Antarctica and uh, Nazis, and uh, you brought up Ukrainian Nazis, right? What, what's your thing on them? Well, again, you know, I, think I know I'm, I know all about uh, Stepan Bandera, and you know, he was trying to unify Ukraine because Ukraine really ain't a real place. It's just a <laughs> hodgepodge of different ethnics. Isn't everywhere though? Yeah, and I think these ideologies get used to, uh, as a, you know, political straw man and, you know, if anybody's interested in learning more about the Nazis, I recommend Joseph P. Farrell and uh, Michael A. Hoffman. Those are some really good sources of information on, you know, what's not commonly talked about when it comes to the the Nazis and, and even Nazism today and its, you know, effects and how uh, Zionism is inherently connected to it. So, yeah, I mean, again, this is probably not a safe topic for YouTube, but uh, but definitely something that... I mean, in uh, certain contexts, I think it's safe? fun. I think it's oh, fun. What's unsafe? Hey, I don't, I don't make about? the rules at YouTube. I just don't want Danny... Uh, yeah, I honestly, it's right. so unclear what any of the rules are right now, like, uh, <laughs> yeah. about anything, you know. It seems like you can talk shit about COVID again. And... That's why That's why a lot of my podcast episodes don't go to YouTube, just because I know, like, the YouTube's the front of the house. If people want the real, uncut, raw information, go to the podcast apps. That's where it's always going to be uncensored. But to speak as candidly as I can here... Yeah, I think I think the Nazism in Ukraine is, you know, it's being used to uh, foment this conflict with Russia. Russia signed an agreement with the Ukraine that they would not have Nazism. There would be no Nazi groups in Ukraine. Now there are Nazi groups in Ukraine. Oh, go figure. I wonder who's funding them. Obviously, the same people that fund terrorist groups when they want to stir up a conflict for an invasion. It's the same. But it's playbook. also very likely they always well, had them as well, though. Well, that, is it that, that too. What is it? Nazism, Nazism in Ukraine has always been inherent because you, you have you ever heard of the name Stepan Bandera? No. Stepan Bandera. So like, have you ever yeah, he, seen like the flags in the uh he's who the all the azov battalion guys ukraine love. yeah 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 if you ever see flags where it's, you see the ukrainian flag where it's yellow and blue but you'll see ones where it's red and black like the bottom half is red and the top half is black and that was like that's what like was all the, ba the banderites or whatever mm-hmm mm yeah yeah I, i'm I appreciate the info. I'm not an expert. I only commented because I heard that uh, 
mentioned with the whole Vladimir Putin Tucker Carlson interview, and I went and did a little research, but yeah, as far as I I'm concerned, you know, that's not my uh, my topic of expertise, but I definitely see how it's a, a factor in the political world, and I think it, it's it's a byproduct of many different factors. But when you're talking about like Nazism from the perspective of the the original Nazis, there was a lot of again occult things going on. Uh, this idea of the Aryan, you know, was misconstrued and made to be this kind of racial thing when actually it's a, a spiritual concept from theosophy. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I think in Ukraine today, people might feel, you know, the same kind of uh, adversity that somebody in like a trailer park here in the United States would feel. And that might, you know, have them. To, I mean, to, to I think it's all going to come back to nationalism or I think, it's, I think that's all going to be coming back to Europe anyways. I mean, it's being flooded with Africans and Islamists. Mm. And I mean, some people just really like yeah, Hitler. So. That That's the thing, though, is like these, in my opinion, and I could be off, I could be wrong. But in my opinion, like that movement in particular, it's it's not a it's not an idea that's inherently connected to white racial identity. It's been misconstrued to do that for a political reason. It's been weaponized in that way, but it's an inherently connected idea with Zionism. Okay. And the two shall never be <laughs> separated. Like they're both connected. I mean, the whole idea with Ukraine is that they want to, make it one big Israel and take Ukraine into Israel and, and have it be like this giant um, Zionist state because they want Ukraine to be part of Israel. Yeah. Well, then a lot of people don't know about the Kazarian Jews that have been in Ukraine. Oh, I know about them. Yeah. They're, they've been oh, in Ukraine for a long here we go. time. <laughs> that, would, that would, that would make sense as to why they're, I get also- called one a lot on the internet. That would make sense as to why there's also Nazis there if they're Kazarian Jews, because, again, this is controversial stuff. I'm not like coming up with this off the top of my head. These are yeah, other yeah. These, these are these are things people think. Yeah. But, you know, uh, don't shoot the messenger. But I think the whole idea of Nazism is like a, it's like a weapon that has been used by the Jews to push their uh, political agenda. So they have like a straw man enemy um so they could play the victim card and that's a very simple way to put it it's much more you know complex than that but uh i think that's inherently the essence of what's going on and think about it like vladimir putin with the whole russian ukraine conflict like the russians are not friends to nazis at all you know like people forget how how the russians were involved with world war ii and how many people died at the hands of the Nazis in Russia. Well, I think I think he's using. I mean, this is my basic interpretation, but I think he's using the Nazism thing, a denazification of Ukraine, as kind of this cudgel. When in fact, he actually doesn't really care about that. He just knows that he goes, "Well, we can all agree we're all against Nazis, right?" And that's what we're doing in Ukraine. We really they just want the land, but he's saying, "Oh, it's like, were you going to stop us from getting rid of the Nazis?" Like. Surely America wouldn't stop us from doing that, would they? Like, I think he's just trying to twist everything around to use it against. I mean, in the early two thousand, in the early two thousand, Putin uh, had even in the very late nineties, 
when the motorcycle clubs started popping up in Russia, especially like Harley Davidson type of motorcycle clubs, the leather jacket kind of dudes. Yeah. Some of them just like were like, yeah, pull out and stuff. And Putin sometimes employed some of them for protection. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, Putin, Putin got a lot of uh, shine with this Tucker Carlson interview or whatever, but like, he's not a good guy. Like, all the people came around, they're like, oh, he seems all right. And then, and then Navalny died. And they go, ah. It's propaganda. He's KGB. You know, well, I mean, Navalny, Navalny is an MI6 cuck. So, <laughs> come on. Yeah. And, and plus, what is it? He, he introduced me to, uh, I think he was, um, he introduced the chance in, uh, because he is like he wants to stri- he wanted to strip like citizenship from those of the cop causes, and he introduced the chant. Uh, uh, what is it? Kafkas ni Moskva, Allah pida. What is it? What is it? Moskva ni Kafkas, Allah pida rat. Like what is it? Uh, Moscow is not the Caucasus. Allah is a faggot. Like really? He introduced that. Yeah. Well, well, if anything is going to get my channel in trouble, it was that sentence right there. I'm not bleeping shit. You know how long it's going to take me? Danny, this is this is look. If my channel lives, my channel lives. That's how I approach things. Danny, I mentioned a prophet who is a pedophile married to a nine-year-old who slid out of a camel's asshole being born. You should probably bleep that part. But uh, my last question was about the uh, architecture. So, like, I like I, I love like classical architecture, especially like in classical Europe. And you know, I'm from Russia. I love like classical Russian architecture, and I've seen all of like a bunch of Europe and stuff, and also like old Spanish, Spanish missionaries and cathedrals. What do you think was like the first? school that like started to become like just completely bland was it brutalism because i've seen like kind of cool brutalist soviet architecture and like they make it look grand and impressive but when was it a lot of uh scandinavia a lot of scandinavia was like that when i was just there like there was a lot of places like sweet parts of sweden where you're like fuck man this is just also just gray and there's no curvature. It it's just yeah. right angles. And... When it comes to architecture in America, there's a there's an architect named Frank Lloyd Wright who you should research because he is for architecture what I was describing in the music industry. He brought a lot of occult sort of ideas, at least for architecture, they were occult and brought them into modern architecture. And that's when you see this departure from... Uh, what we would con- consider like Western European, you know, like uh, like Victorian. There's there's Moorish. I mean, there's tons of different styles within Western architecture, and you could draw that all the way back to Egypt and possibly the Old World. But when it comes to modern architecture, I would look up Frank Lloyd Wright. There's some weird stuff with him actually doing like a sacrifice ritual to one of his staff at one of his homes that that died in a fire within a certain part of his home that he designed. Um, So yeah, there's a whole thought with that and other sort of interesting people in this network of uh, occult artists 
really revere Frank Lloyd Wright and all of his uh, all of the inspiration he brought. Uh, another interesting modern architect that people could look up that includes a lot of occult ideas in his work. He's been hired by the 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 whole who's who of infamous groups from BlackRock to the CFR to everyone else. Uh, his name's Osama Noguchi, and he's created all these really weird uh, statues, pieces of uh, public art, things like pyramids and portals and all kinds of weird things that are just right there in people's you know, downtowns of your average city, you name it, Detroit, you know, they got one here in my local spot, New Haven. There's a, a sunken architecture garden. That's what it's called. But uh, yeah, there's definitely occult stuff going on in architecture and it does relate to the whole old world situation. Um, but it's also, you know, it's, 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 I think a byproduct of, I don't mean to sound so jaded or anything, um, but I think it's a byproduct of the caste system here in America as well. Like we have an elite that have uh, hijacked this country's trajectory. And I think that's kind of the crux of what I research. I think it makes me sound jaded, uh, mostly because I grew up blue collar in a, one of America's wealthiest areas. Uh, so, sure, yeah. sure. Um, all right. Thanks, Slav. We're going to take another call. Uh, one moment, please. Hello. Rafe, how you doing, buddy? What's up, man? Uh, one moment, please. And Rafe, you're on with Mark. Go ahead. All right. So we're talking about Frank Lloyd Wright houses. Uh, I live next to one, which is kind of cool. Crazy. How many houses does does he have across the United States? I know it's quite a bit, right? Like it's not that uh they're all they're all uh historic landmarks and there's like more than like uh eighty or something like that. Oh wow. Well that's not that many. No, he's he's I mean, probably, you know, like some of the I think like the America's like considered like the most beautiful home in America is it one says of here he designed more than a thousand structures over seventy years. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, but his that was like his firm. Like his like his famous houses that are like on the historical register. Yeah. There's only like there's only a couple hundred. Well, and the place the place where the occult ritual I described, that's the Taliesin estate. Do you happen to be in Wisconsin or or you are you near No. No, but uh I know what you're talking about. Um so I don't know. I have a question. Um, do you have anything like I, you kind of like cover everything? This hasn't been really anything that we've talked about. You got anything? Any updates on Bigfoot? <laughs> yeah, I've been Mike. trying to get this guy um, from Canada. Actually, uh, this guy Mike. I can't remember what his last name is. He was supposed to come on the show. He does. He's like he's somewhere in Ontario. This Bigfoot guy, and he was like, "Yeah, I'll come on." And then he just like totally ghosted me. Hmm. Yeah, because yeah, I mean that was like what like my dad was always like, "Yo, dude, fucking like Bigfoot's real." Like we had a Bigfoot statue in our front yard. Like it was big. People you would a Bigfoot like statue in your and, front like, yard. Pictures of it. Oh yeah. Um, and we also we had a mini one next to it. The one that was in the um, Sky Sky magazine. Back in like 2010, 2012. Okay. Uh, he doesn't mind remember that. 
But yeah, it was, yeah, it was like a hundred dollars in Sky Mag. So we bought that, and we had like a bigger one that was like, you know, it was like a big brother that my like dad had carved out of wood. But uh, so like that got me, you know, he like fun stuff, you know, like aliens, you know, Bigfoot, you know, who killed JFK? Really, you know, why? It like, why it was feels it like Jews? It feels like you're saying like, hey, like why all the dark conspiracies let's go to some of the lighter ones that we all love and remember from the good old days of conspiracy when everything wasn't so like uh dire and in your face yeah yeah there's certain yeah, conspiracies yeah, yeah. too yeah, where no, like I mean, just yeah. the proliferation of everybody having a video camera now and then you're like man the longer like there was a period we go look nobody has a camera like of course we don't have any videos of this shit Here's here's the thing about Bigfoot to answer your question in a way that might be uh, interesting because I have the conversation often on my show with different people who have different opinions. Well, uh, b- before before but, you tell, have you experienced any like Bigfoot hearings or anything? Because I have been way up in the woods in the middle of bumfuck nowhere, Maine, and I've heard like you know people like it sounded like someone was banging sticks up against you know trees. Yeah, like it was. You know, it was like I mean, I, I guess I'll say because like as much as I like Bigfoot to be real, that's not one that I necessarily subscribe to. But I'm like, how? How? What's the explanation for they just they haven't found just like a car? Dude, you're from Canada. How, how can you say that, Danny? That's what I'm saying. Like I'm from Canada. How have I not seen? How have I not seen one person with one? You Maybe know we mean? can sway Danny. I'll, give me a chance. Well, I guess my okay. First question. Why does have not one person ever found? Because certainly they die. So look at how big Canada wilderness and and, and like Montana, North Dakota, South Dakota, and most of those. Let me let me a lot of the United States. Let me take so much wilderness. No I know that. I know that. I, I mean, in. especially in, in Canada. Bro. Yeah. Okay. Tag okay. In, okay. Mark, you're, Mark, you're in. Mark, you're in. Let's go. So, okay, I've heard that argument before, Danny, and sadly, the same is true for most large mammal species. You don't generally find their carcasses. It's just a fact of nature. Things decay, things get preyed upon, and even a Bigfoot would fall prey if it was sick and old enough to things like coyotes, wolves, etc. I guess, you know what, I'll say if there's not that many of them, like if they are fairly rare, then I will concede that because, yes, it it would get just eaten by whatever is, is around. Here's yeah, the thing. Be in by me because I'm such an alpha male. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, no one's ever shot successfully shot a Bigfoot, and people have tried. And I think the reason why that is is because we're not actually interacting with a biological being. Uh, I think it's a little more uh, nuanced than that, more complicated. Like these are almost like guardians of the forest. If that sounds like not like I don't mean to sound so like Disney here, but like I think. The reason why people have always seen these creatures, because they're not just an American thing, like Native Americans obviously have seen them for much longer than the Europeans were here. And other cultures have similar stories and encounters with similar beings. And all of these beings seem to conform to their given environment. The Yeti is not the same as the Sasquatch. I mean... Not the same as the year. Bro, you, you're sounding you're sounding real like astronomy girlfriend like right now. I don't want to. I don't. I'm not hating on you. Well, you're, you're sounding, you're you're sounding real. When I'm about to hit the oh, uh, Rafe, Rafe, let him, I'm just let, saying. I'm just saying. Okay, Rafe, Rafe, let him let him finish this point here. 
So you have different creatures that can form to different biomes, right? So it's not as simple as, oh, it's just one type of creature. I think it's more complicated than that. And I think that there are animals, we'll call them beings, we'll call them maybe even uh, at the risk of sounding woo-woo here, uh, spirits that humans have classically seen. They come in all different forms. And I think that's the reason why people see them they shoot at them, but they don't ever kill them is because this isn't something that conforms to the same laws of physics that so they we can. Do. Are you saying that they cannot be killed or they cannot be killed with a means that humans know of? Well, it's the same. Like, could you kill a ghost? Like, that's what know? I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so essentially we were, you wouldn't even put this as an extraterrestrial. It's not even in that. This is it's so much more complicated than that because no, there is the, no, the, People have seen. I think they're the, 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 the Well, okay. Here's the thing, brother. You got to hear me out <laughs> because this is a full spectrum answer I'm trying to give you. So that's that's. I mean, everybody here's on the spectrum. That's for sure. Dude, so I mean, you know, sure. a, a full spectrum <laughs> answer sounds like some liberal fucking <laughs> anti fucking news bullshit. <laughs> well, we got to get the full spectrum answer, right, Rafe? Let him finish. Well, and I have heard the the conversation that they're uh, connected to the Nephilim. I think there's some some truth there. I, maybe it's a, a order of human and hominoid, whatever that existed alongside of humanity. We have stories of that from ancient cultures of these hairy hominids that, like from the Epic of Gilgamesh, I think it's. Uh, Are you calling black people hairy hominids? Because that is not okay. Because <laughs> well, I see you wearing. <laughs> Wrong yeah, podcast. But, That's tomorrow night, Rafe. Yeah. In Africa, they do have stories of these creatures as well. They don't call them Sasquatch, but they do have their own equivalent creatures in the forests in Africa. I, mean, I, I, okay. I call them Sasquatch, dude. Sorry, yeah. dude. Um, all right, Rafe, I'm going to let you go. We're going to take one more call here before we wrap up. Thanks, Dan. Uh, Rafe, everybody. Uh, all right. Last call of the night. Hello. Last caller of the night. You're on low value mail. Who am I speaking with? Hey, Danny. What's going on, man? What is happening? Before this is Ryan. Ryan, you are on with Mark. Go ahead. Hello. Uh, I missed a lot of the earlier show, uh, and just to uh, just to kind of brush up on the last time I, I called as well, Danny. We had spoken on your Halloween episode. Uh, my sister had received those rights, and I had spoken with her like shaman friend about uh, oh yeah yeah to, to, yeah that was uh it was a really long call but we we ultimately had to like you know give give way to other callers but uh wanted to call back say hello um okay. regarding the bigfoot stuff i was just listening to i don't know if you're you're uh familiar with the comic ryan singer uh, uh but he has a podcast ryan but, singer sickler no, Singer, S-I-N-G-E-R. I've seen his podcast before. Called Me and Paranormal View. Yeah. And he oh. talks a lot about uh, Bigfoot and Bigfoot expeditions and stuff, and he's kind of involved in going down to this property on Florida that he says has, I don't know, all sorts of weird activity going on. He might be an interesting guest to pursue in the yeah, future. Yeah, oh, cool. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll hit him up. There's fucking 10 million comedians. To be, to be clear, to like... I don't think Bigfoot's necessarily a ghost. I just am giving you guys a spread of the multiple ways to interpret it. I'm more likely, I, I, I think it's more probable that this is some sort of creature that 
if anything is as intelligent or more intelligent as human beings it just conforms to a different you know morphology and ecology you know it doesn't doesn't need fire sure. to, to do what it does and and survive and have communities and you know be hidden from <laughs> uh, what do you call it diurnal creatures because there's a whole world of animals that only come out at sunrise and sunset. There's a whole world of animals that only come out at night. Humans conform to like one specific niche on the earth. And there's all these other niches that creatures like us could, uh, we'll say exploit from a biological standpoint. Fair. I definitely, you know, I just wanted to, uh, to let, uh, let you guys know about the podcast and, you know, Cool. Potentially uh, uh, offer uh, 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 another guest, but it wasn't the reason I called. Okay. Um, go ahead. Just curious. You're you're new to me. I was I was uh, I'm no stranger to like conspiracies and weird paranormal shit. I kind of waver back and forth as to what my own position is. There have been times in my life where I've been deeper into it, and then times where I've definitely pulled back for a number of reasons, not just because it felt like it was. You know, you, you, you kind of become a little obsessive about it and then all of a sudden you see it everywhere. And sometimes that's really more your own doing than it is the truth of the matter. And so it's good to step away from it for a bit. Um, I was curious as to two things. Um, how long have you been into it and have you had the opportunity to kind of take a step back from it as well and kind of reassess your position? Because I just think that's a healthy thing to do. Uh, and the other question I had was if you guys had talked about the, uh, the Miami aliens earlier in the episode, I'm curious if you had any, the Miami, what are the Miami aliens? Well, we'll get to that. I'll answer both your questions, but we didn't talk about the Miami aliens. I didn't even Um, know about that one. Yeah, they were calling. That was, that was a few weeks ago. There was that. Oh, whole thing about with the, the mall. mall, with the mall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that was. I I remember looking into that, and pretty quickly, you were like, "Yeah, there was literally like a massive brawl broke out at some mall, yeah. and there was like someone been, out a someone pulled out a gun or something." And I've been in malls where that kind of chaos ensues. Like I've seen like chairs fly across like cafeterias or food courts. So yeah, I can imagine it gets pretty wild down there in Florida. But to answer your other question, um. You know, I, I grew up, you know, in the 9-11 generation, I, I like to call it, because when I was in elementary school, they sat us down in the classroom and showed us 9-11 as it, you know, went on on television, right? I was only in like third grade, so I was very young, but that stuck with me. I remember getting really charged up about the war in Iraq, and then I kind of fell away from it thinking like, oh, wow, I really got all stirred up to join the military and you know i was too young to join the military obviously but i just kind of like thought about that a lot as a kid and that's kind of what led me in the direction to researching conspiracies and getting into all this stuff around 16 17 18 those years i was very deep into it and it's it ebbs and flows you know because i've had a a normal life uh you know like just job to job after i dropped out of college i dropped out essentially because I realized what I was, you know, getting a degree in wasn't going to benefit me. And I preferred to teach myself. I think I've done a, a good job at that, but, uh, no, I, I think if anything, I have a kind of relaxed approach to what I do with the podcast. Um, I kind of pick up 
my research and put it back down. Like for instance, Danny reached out to me yesterday about coming on the show. Uh, normally when I do a show, I'll, you know, sit down and prepare some stuff. And a lot of this topic I've talked about a lot and, uh, I've come back to it from time to time over and over again. But I think what's happened with me is it's like, I, I set the intention to teach myself and learn about this kind of stuff and whatever it is in the universe, call it God, call it, you know, uh, synchronicity or consciousness. It's kind of just pushed me into these experiences and these opportunities that have led to a deeper understanding of, uh, now a, a bunch of topics that people are really interested in <laughs> part of the whole reason my show's named what it is. It wasn't just my family's my family that thought I was crazy. It's my friends too. Like a ton of the guys I went to high school with are like, Oh, Mark's a, a conspiracy nut, you know, like that they don't talk to me. Anymore. Sure. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's something that I think, you know, I have to have a healthy approach to, cause I've seen the, the, real consequences of what like isolating yourself into an ideology can do, you know, um, the name. Yeah, of you want to, yeah, you, you want to have a, I mean, you definitely do not want to become the person who goes, everything is a conspiracy theory. Yeah. You're like, once you get that, you go, man, it's your two, four. Well, the name of my show might imply that, but it, it definitely like, I think it's a joke, you know, like my family loves me. My parents love me. I'm not like a reject or anything like that, but there's definitely in America and probably stronger in other countries this incentive to like do well by your parents and get a good job and go through the society the cycle of of what it is to be a, a citizen of this country and for whatever reason i've just always been contrary into that and and thought no i'm gonna research this stuff because i don't i don't think what's going on is right you know i think people are being pushed into a system that makes them unhealthy unhappy um, you know, unwise to the scams and tricks that are front. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't know if that answers your question, but I think I, I, I don't I mean, know. It kind of does. I mean, and you seem like a pretty relaxed, laid back guy and have a, a good positive attitude, but at the same time, like some of the stuff that I did hear you say, I, I don't want to say it was alarming, but it's definitely some other perspectives that like, I don't necessarily like, I don't, I don't have an issue with anyone being aware of any sort of information. I think you should digest any and all information and kind of process it that way. But as far as like coming down and saying, this is definitively something like once you kind of lock yourself into it, it builds this framework up in your mind where like you're reinforcing it. Yeah. And well, when it comes I personally to history, found that's just not a healthy way to look at it. Yeah. But when it comes to history, there is an objective reality and there's an objective truth to be found. Uh, it's not always easy. And there's definitely bias in most of the sources that we have for our history. I mean, but, every, everything, really. Yeah. But when you can. Right. Well, that's that's the thing is like we can we can our, our aim is always to get further, further down towards the truth. But like it's not like oh we got there we've we've cracked the case and here we are like it's it's almost like you can chip away at it but you're never really like yeah 100 well, percent there that's the thing is we're dealing with a living breathing thing and what i think i've done is i identified a pattern and researched a trend you know i'm not necessarily saying to the world like it's the sky is falling and this is how we're going to stop it. You know, I think that's like the chicken little symptom that happens to a lot of people when they first wake up 
It's why my family thinks I'm crazy. Because as soon as I learned about all this stuff, I started telling them, oh, don't do that. You're going to get the C word. Oh, don't do that. You're going to get, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, they start thinking I'm crazy, telling them not to trust the doctors. And then, you know, the whole pandemic rolls through. And who's right? Uh, I don't know, me uh, and a ton of other people that I learned from. So I think I'm vindicated in that sense. But as far as secret societies go, it's a tricky thing. You know, I'm sorry. I mean, they're secret for a reason. Well, and and I'm somebody who's, you know, uh, been kind of by accident privy to some things by different jobs that I've had, things that I've seen, people I've met. So it's it's confirmed my suspicions. And I think that's what I mean by synchronicity. So to someone who's on a different trajectory or different path might be hard to relate to the information I'm sharing. But that's, again, why I say, like, you know, if you if anything I say sticks with you. Think critically about it and do your own research and and verify it because you know, I have sources to verify what I say. That's why I say it. It's the only reason I I do this sort of thing. It's not to, you know, for some narcissistic reason. It's because I care about the world and I want to see uh, it become a better place. And when I see things that happen that are unjust, when I th- see things that happen that I don't agree with or where I see ignorance in the world, deep in my heart, it makes me want to, to inform people, educate people, uplift people, help the world grow and become better. And I think that's not something that any one person can achieve. It's something that we all take part in. And it's this like dance of life that goes on. And, and that's how things evolve and change. And it's got to be good and bad. It's not all good. You know, this is it's not some idealistic utopian vision I have. I just I think people should know where they're being lied to and and where the world is is unjust. All right. Well said. Um, all right. Thanks, caller. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. All right. Thank you. Sorry to get on my soap. No, not at all. Not at all. All right. That has been uh, the show. Thank you very much, everybody, for joining us today. Uh, thank you to Mark. So, Mark, best place people can find you. Yeah, if you want to reach out to me, Instagram is what I'm usually on. Best place to find me is anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you listen to this, I'll I'll put it all below all that stuff. Uh, We'll be back tomorrow night with a new episode of The Bathhouse as well. I know I've been fucking tinkering around with this, but uh, the the stream, the live stream, this will go private. And then uh, the full episode will be up tomorrow afternoon. I'm just doing that now because whatever YouTube is dinging me for whatever reason Uh, for live streams. I don't know why. Uh, but they are. So if you are like, what happened to the show? You can watch it tomorrow and uh, I'll put it up at like noon. So, um, all right, Mark, thank you very much for joining me. Everybody. Thank you for joining me. Hopefully see some of you tomorrow evening on the bathhouse, 10 30 PM live from the stand comedy club green room. I see Eric Pepe telling everybody to open their eyes because the earth is not moving. We'll see. All right. Good night, everybody.
wanna turn on my light switch. They was trying to get me on my hype shit. They don't wanna turn on my light switch. Then they tried to down me up some KO type shit. They don't wanna turn on my light switch.